The big challenge for any synthetic data company right now is to properly productize and commercialize the technologies. What is unbiased? Because you ultimately will need a human in the loop there to decide how to balance a data set in some way or another. And it, it can become a game of whack-a-mole. Thinking all of the various flavors of this technology and generative AI do require a high degree of specialism that just doesn't exist in the world. But first, a quick message from our sponsor. Are you a scaling business looking to take your financial management to the next level? Sage Intact is here to help. Sage Intact is a powerful cloud-based financial management system that delivers automation around billing, accounting and reporting. Voted market leaders by G2, Sage Intact is the ideal finance solution to scale your business. Learn more about how Sage Intact can support your growing business at www.sage.co.uk slash intact. Hello and welcome to the UKTN podcast, a weekly chat with the founders of some of the UK's high growth tech companies and other key stakeholders. In this series, we'll be exploring what entrepreneurship looks like in the UK right now, as well as getting tips from some of our most innovative business leaders and discussing the hot topics in the tech world. I'm your host, Jane Wakefield, and I've been a tech journalist for many years. And I'm joined this week by Harry Keane, the CEO of Hazy. Hello, Harry. Hi, Jane. Thank you for having me on. Now, Hazy is a London-based synthetic data and generative AI startup. Now, talk about riding the zeitgeist. This is the hottest topic in town right now, isn't it, Harry? Did, did you always have generative AI in your title, or have you added that since ChatGPT sprung onto the scene? <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. It really has exploded into the mainstream recently. And we've always talked about generative technology. I think the term generative AI now has a very broad meaning. But uh, yeah, we've always talked about how at the core of our business is a, a piece of generative technology that, yeah, that ultimately does the transition of, of real data into synthetic data. And that's, uh, yeah, that's that's always been there for us. But you're absolutely right. It's very, very helpful now that it is becoming much more of a main, mainstream piece of technology. Everybody knows about it. Now, I've heard of synthetic people. Even that seems weird to me that we are creating digital people that don't exist in the real world. But the idea of synthetic data is a new one on me. So explain why we need synthetic data and how you go about creating it. Yeah, absolutely. So organizations face a huge challenge where they have huge amounts of very sensitive information that contains a lot of value. On the other side of the business, they have a bunch of people ready to use it, to analyze it, to build new products on top of, to extract value so they can build better products for their customers. There's lots of really interesting ethical reasons why a company might want to extract value from their data, but they also have to contend with a huge amount of regulation from GDPR to CCPA, so these other data regulations that's, that limits and slows their ability to access that information. And that's before they even get into the internal sort of governance processes that a lot of these big regulated businesses contend with within their, within their businesses. So there's just a huge tension between sort of being able to innovate with data and the sort of the, the regulations that these companies have to contend with. So 
this is where synthetic data can solve the problem. I'm talking about big structured databases. It could be banking transactions. It could be telecommunication phone records. There's a whole different variety of different bits of information it could be. But ultimately, we train a generative model against all of that raw information that picks up all of the underlying statistics, the characteristics, the behaviors of people in that data, the structure, the format. And you can take away that trained model and then ask it to create a totally new data point that doesn't exist in real life. It's totally fictitious, but it's realistic. And you can keep on doing that. And you end up with a full synthetic data set that looks and feels like the real data, doesn't contain any of the real information, but does preserve the statistical characteristics. And that allows you to use it instead of real data without uh, ultimately risking all of the, the private information that might be in the real data. Now, this may seem like a stupid question, but is that data siloed or that doesn't get out into the real world, does it? Because, of course, these AI systems train on data. And I'm just kind of wondering whether it would be a good idea to train them on effectively fake data. Yeah, it's, there's, there's a couple of things. There. I think ultimately a lot of the uses we're seeing our customers using synthetic data for today are still quite internal. So it'll be their data analytics team trying to access their the banking transaction records so they can understand customer behavior better. Or it'll be a software development team trying to build and develop a new piece of software. That's all internal within the sort of the firewall of the company today. So I think there will progressively be a process where um, people get more comfortable with the safety of synthetic data, maybe start publishing it more publicly for benchmarking, to collaborate with researchers, data for good, you know, ultimately helping to solve some of the, the world's biggest problems. But you're absolutely right. There's a question about how accurate the, the the systems and maybe AI tools that are built on top of synthetic data are going to be. So it's always worth validating back against real data wherever you possibly can. Um, and, that's the, and, and that's the process we actually have built into our product as well, is, uh, is a sort of A-B test mechanism where you can compare real versus synthetic data and, and the, any tools that are built on top of it. Um, and so that can, be a, that can be done in a private manner as well. So they, you, you need to be careful. You're absolutely right with, uh, with that approach. I mean, one of the big issues around AI is that it's learning from data that can be flawed or that data or data that can be biased. So I was at a technology conference earlier this month and somebody was talking about how they'd ask ChatGPT what job it would recommend. And it said it was a woman and it recommended a nurse or, or something very female gendered. And then it said, actually, no, I'm a man. And it suggested an engineer as, a, as an alternative. So this data that that we're teaching these systems on is very is very flawed and very biased. And interestingly, with synthetic people, you could sort of get that balance better. The, the fact that there's a lack of black and Asian people in data that exists for real, you could create more ethnic minority data. Can you do the same with your synthetic data? Is there a role to play for synthetic data to try and even up that bias that we're seeing currently with AI? Yeah, absolutely. There is huge potential for synthetic data to create what could be realistic sort of information and augment a, data, a raw data set or, as you say, make a totally synthetic data set more even across certain sort of dimensions. However, what I 
will stress is that it raises the question about exactly what is unbiased, because you ultimately will need a human in the loop there to decide how to balance a data set in some way or another. And it, it can become a, a game of a, a game of whack-a-mole in a sense. So you may, in your data set, have some female high earners, let's say, who are based in the southeast of, of England. And you may sort of say, well, that's great. I'm going to balance out the data set and add more women. So you may ultimately somehow create another bias where it looks like only the southeast of England is where the high earning jobs are. And there's a whole bunch of, of different sort of intricacies that you might neglect when you're, when you're doing that type of work. So we caution that it's worth approaching those problems with a pinch of salt. And whilst the tool can be there to use effectively, it's more of a question about how to use it in the, in the right way. So yes, there's, there's great potential there. But there's, again, a, a note of caution that you almost don't want to introduce more human error and more bias into, into the process somehow. Now, you've recently raised $9 million in Series A funding. Banks seem to be particularly keen on getting involved. Why is it that banks are really interested in this this particular idea of synthetic data? And what are they doing with it? Banks have this challenge that, that we solve, much larger as it appears than many other companies, because they are fundamentally, their businesses are built on trust. So regardless of whether there was the GDPR or any other data protection regulation, you don't want your bank to be leaking your financial information full stop. So so they have always taken a very conservative and a risk-averse approach to data security and data privacy. So that's the starting point. They are also working and operating in a space that's highly competitive. So there are challenger banks coming through like Monzo or Revolut and Starling, who are stealing some of their market share. So they're also under a significant pressure to, to innovate. So again, you see this tension where they have this huge risk-averse attitude and they have this pressure to innovate. So that that's why there's the sort of perfect storm, if you like, in the financial services sector to really leverage this type of technology to, to use their data assets more effectively. Because at the end of the day, these incumbent businesses do have very valuable and large data sources. It's just a, a question of how they, they tap them in a safe way to, to ultimately get that value. A quick message from our sponsor. Are you a scaling business looking to take your financial management to the next level? Sage Intact is here to help. Sage Intact is a powerful cloud-based financial management system that delivers automation around billing, accounting and reporting. Voted market leaders by G2, Sage Intact is the ideal finance solution to scale your business. Learn more about how Sage Intact can support your growing business at www.sage.co.uk slash intact. Now, there's so much more we can talk about about AI and we will come back to it. But just for a minute, let's talk about the sort of roots of Hazy. It was a spin out from University College London. I'm seeing quite a lot of companies coming out of that. We associate Cambridge with producing these sort of tech companies. What was it like to be spun out of UCL? What what is it that sort of makes that a good environment for producing these innovative tech firms? I think for us, it was a really good process. Uh, UCL have a very a startup friendly approach to how they run their spin-off activity so they make it very easy to make sure IP is is allotted in the right way and you work with researchers and they also provide a whole bunch of other services alongside that with access to interns and and other uh, other researchers around the around the organization so it's a very effective university in that respect the great thing about UCL is its, it's location 
and proximity to everything your startup could need from investments. All the VCs have offices here in, in, in London, so you're on the doorstep with that. Also on customers as well. For us as well, that's been particularly useful. You just take a, take the Elizabeth line from where our office is down to Canary Wharf and your customer in almost any sort of direction you look, in a sense. So it's a very good ecosystem here to be a part of. And, and UCL is, is, is part of that. So we had a great experience, actually, from uh, from, from running out running our business or starting our business in, in that way. And, and what's the next stage for you guys? What plans have you got for the rest of 2023? Big challenge for any synthetic data company right now is to properly productize and commercialize the technology. So there's been a great promise. We are leading the effort with a bunch of pioneering customers who have taken a sort of first look at this technology, are using it in anger, but probably on a distinct use case or in a distinct department. Now, to really prove that this product can scale and become a game-changing piece of technology across many other sectors is to, is to get those customers to use this product in a more enterprise-wide setting. So that means you have to be able to scale the product, to handle more large and complex data sets and work in more scenarios. You have to have a whole bunch of infrastructure around the product as well, so it can be deployed in complex environments. And also you need to ultimately go to market right and have, a, have that as a, as a scalable scalable process as well so there's a yeah there's a number of challenges that are that'll take us to that next milestone we're fortunate enough to have some early stage customers who are going on that journey with us who are very collaborative from the likes of nationwide building society amongst others and, and vodafone is, a, is is an interesting example in another sector outside financial services so that's the stage of the the technology in my opinion and that's how that's how we we prove that we get to the next stage and that's how we would raise more investment and ultimately go on to to scale this this business more widely it's interesting you talk about it being integrated into businesses because that seems to be where all the hype is. But it isn't an easy process, is it, to suddenly go from not having AI in your business to using ChatGPT or some similar platform and, as you say, getting that working with all your systems. And it isn't just a question of getting it integrated. It's a question of knowing how people are using it. So what would your advice be for businesses that are kind of thinking of integrating AI? Yeah, I think... What we have seen the most successful customers, the way they approach this is to find a really distinct use case initially, build the proof points, take the baby steps you need, work hand in hand with a vendor like Hazy and and really develop out the proposition. Because I think honestly that a lot of businesses will struggle to generate the, the groundswell through developing this internally, I think it it is a, all of the sort of various flavors of this technology and generative AI do require a high degree of specialism that just doesn't exist in the world at the moment. So if you have an enticing sort of use case, that makes it very attractive for a company like Hazy to, to work together with you to ultimately refine the product and ultimately the, the solution that you will get. And then Slowly, slowly, that'll develop into a much more kind of mature proposition and you'll be able to take that as a case study across to other parts of the organization and spread it more widely. So it's a, it really is bite off a small chunk first and use that as a proof point to, to ultimately expand. Mm-hmm. One company that has integrated chat GPT is Snapchat. And I was quite horrified to learn that my daughter was using it for her revision, especially as she'd already asked it to describe who I was. And Snap's AI assistant had said, Jane Wakefield is a technology journalist who works for the BBC, The Guardian and The Times, which makes me sound much grander than I am because I don't work and never have for The Guardian or The Times. So 
this is the other problem with AI, isn't it? Accuracy. Mm. So did Snap rush into integrating it? You know, these we should be thinking about these things a bit more, shouldn't we, before we rush them out? A hundred percent. And I, I totally agree. I think there's um, it is important to make the distinction between ChatGPT, which is a brand new piece of technology. Let, let's be really clear about that. And it absolutely has lots of creases to be ironed out versus some of the more established sort of techniques that would also be encompassed in generative AI, which is is perhaps where sort of hazy sits today. But you're absolutely right. You will be setting yourself up for sort of failure uh, if you are rushing into these processes and and yeah, biting off more than you can you can chew really, because you're absolutely right. Some of these technologies haven't been robust, you uh, haven't been in production long enough to be robust enough to, to really understand exactly where the right use cases are to, uh, yeah, that deliver value in a, in a safe and accurate way. So there are plenty of use cases today that ChatGPT and GPT, it is useful. Maybe it's summarizing a, a chunk of text or phrasing it in a, in a different way. But there are perhaps uses where you are, right, where you're really trying to find detailed facts, which perhaps it isn't so good at today. So there are, yeah, there's lots of creases to be ironed out. And it would be a mistake to trust a technology quite so uh, so new off the off the production line to to the to the extent on, on some of those use cases. Mm-hmm. And one of the other creases to be ironed out is the problem of deep fakes, which we kind of touched on a little bit earlier. But that really is the biggest issue with AI, isn't it? That it can spread misinformation. And now I'm thinking, if you can start creating synthetic data sets as well, not just create new people that could perhaps put words in people's mouths. I mean, we've seen those pictures of Trump being arrested that were deep faked. But if you can get out fake data, we can't believe anything we read anywhere, can we then? It is is a huge, huge challenge that our society has never had to to deal with. And it is is worrying. And we saw another story where Elon Musk, uh, his lawyers were claiming that actually the the real information might be fake. You know, it's it's it is it's a real fine line for how how we we solve this this problem. As a society, we have dealt with fake information before, and I'm I'm confident we'll be able to do do as such this time round. I think this is a slightly new era, though, for sort of the level of realism you can achieve with with the fake information. For for me, it feels, and for Hazy at least, we've, we've we've come up against this problem in in a microcosm with our customers, where they want to make sure they know which is synthetic data versus their real data in their in their businesses, so they don't accidentally mix them up or or use them in the wrong setting, etc. So, what we do is we actually add a little watermark into our synthetic data sets, and that allows you to identify the synthetic data is indeed synthetic. So, I, I actually wrote a blog about this quite recently. I think it's it's vitally important that when you are publishing synthetic data or using synthetic data, you establish that the work you're producing is is as it is exactly that. And I feel like that is that is one small step we can take as a society right now to really make sure that we're open and honest with ourselves and not try and deep fake information to ultimately stir confusion in in the future. I think that there's, yeah, as I say, there is going to be, have to be a big shift in our society with how we treat and understand this new type of, of information. That's a great idea, the idea of watermarking fake data, but that sort of thing needs to be adopted sort of as a policy countrywide, doesn't it? I mean, the UK is starting to think about AI and the problems that it brings. I was actually looking at its white paper just before we spoke. And one of the things that it states in that is that 
organizations must organizations that are developing and deploying AI should be able to communicate when and how it is used and explain a system's decision making process, which sounds great in theory, but actually it's not that easy, is it, to really understand how these systems are making decisions. There's such a black box element to how AI learns that, you know, you can say you need to do this, but actually, can we? It's a very hard problem and it's it's a different problem for each different type of algorithm that you're that you're using. So yes, I think there are ways through that and it, it, the sort of explainability of AI is a big field that I, I don't pretend to be a, an expert in myself. There's there's lots and lots of people out there who have spent a lot of time working on this problem, but the advent of these large language models that are the the, the kind of the underlying technology behind ChatGPT and um, and the others is um, it is a whole it's a whole another type of black box, which is even more complicated to understand. So, yes, it, it is a, it's a really big really big problem to um, to a to, to try and solve, but then b to to actually regulate around as well and enforce. And I think the the overall sentiment is right though that we should be overly cautious. So we should be able to explain exactly how decisions are made, particularly when they relate to people and their particular financials, if it's a loan decision or credit making process or something like that. It's it really, there are different types of decisions that you need different sort of levels of explainability almost. Um, so there is, a, again, this is, this is a, a debate that needs to be fully fully discussed and, and, and fleshed out before we, we really start to use these technologies in, in anger. Yeah, and it's not just you, Harry, that doesn't necessarily know the answer. People that perhaps should know the answer, like Jeffrey Hinton, the guy who is known as the godfather of AI and recently resigned from Google, says he doesn't really know how to, to do this either, which is a worrying position to be in, isn't it? What can the government do now other than sort of come out with these statements that don't really make sense? How, how would you say the government need to approach this to make sure they're sort of as, as on top of the issue as they can be? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and I wish I could have the sort of silver bullet answer there. I think the challenge is that there are a huge potential benefits from this technology, from healthcare through to improve financial services, to everything we do day to day. So to sort of limit the development of them or, or sorry, stymie it too much, it is, it's a, it is a risk in itself. Now, that risk needs to be weighed up against the risk of something bad happening, technology falling into the wrong hands, decisions being made that can't be fully explained. It's a really, really complex balancing act to make. So I think what the government needs to do is be really engaged around this tech because it is... It, it, it is this, the dawn of a new sort of industrial revolution. It hasn't been breaking overnight. This has been a slow, a slowish sort of process over the last sort of several years. So there are plenty of people that are are experts in these in these areas. So the government needs to be engaged with them, engage with industry, find the use cases, and making sure that uh, that they can be reactive as quickly as possible to to regulation, because there will be unknown unknowns. Just as the with the internet, as we transition from the sort of through the first decade of this century, a whole series of unforeseen side effects started started coming up with the with, with the internet so think about social media and the impact that perhaps facebook and the influence that's adverse use of the that technology and that that platform had on on elections earlier you know, several years ago there are there are many things that we have to we've learned that we have to be very quick to react to so in my opinion it 
feels like we cannot limit the development of this technology due to the sort of benefits we can have, but we have to be extremely quick and reactive to, to understand any possible negative side effects and try and stamp them out before, uh, before it's too late. Yeah, and on that point, the UK government hasn't been particularly fast when it comes to regulating big tech. I see now that the competition watchdog has launched a review of AI models. It's going to look at security, copyright, even human rights, which is another big piece of work, isn't it? Do you think that it's actually down to individual companies, as you were sort of hinting to earlier, to come up with these policies? Does every company that's got AI or thinking about integrating AI need a policy, just as it would have HR policies about around its workers and staff and things they can and can't do? Do all businesses need an AI policy? Yeah, I think that's a great idea. And I think the broader sort of context of that, whether it's a sort of formal policy or, or not, there is a there's an element of sort of self-policing here. Now, self-policing doesn't always work. And you look at the, to come back to the Facebook example, we saw Cambridge Analytica sort of leveraging sort of the data loophole to, to actually cause some quite serious damage in elections across the Western world. Now, that clearly can't be allowed to happen and again if there is a similar sort of effect of, of this, this new technology wave. So I think there's an element of self-policing here. So I do agree having an, an AI, a formal AI policy is a, is a great start. Now, there are companies that are scared about using the technology in the wrong way, which would ultimately have a negative impact on the business. So there is, a, you know, there is actually a, there is an element of the self-policing piece. So you don't want to be known to be given in inaccurate search results as a, an internet search company, for example, that this already had a negative impact on uh, on Google when they released Bard and it it was producing incorrect results literally on the adverts that they were they were showing. So that can have a huge negative impact on their their customer, you know, on their, their company's revenues. And and that in itself is a good self-policing factor. However, yeah, I think it is going to be down to ultimately it is going to be down to government to really start to regulate quickly. But in the meantime, I'm confident that uh, that companies will be have their own self-interest at, at heart. And as you say, as we were talking about earlier, won't perhaps be rushing into it until they they know that their you know their business isn't going to be at risk for some unfore- unforeseen reason. So I think there there is uh, as I say, I, I think that element of AI policies internally and indeed just sort of that self-policing part is it will, will play a major major role over the next uh, next couple of years. Now we've talked a lot around the nitty gritty and I'm afraid I have been quite negative and I do apologise for that. But uh, <laughs> ultimately the big question here and the reason why Jeff Hinton resigned from Google is that we are starting to question whether these systems are ultimately going to get smarter than humans. It's a big question to finish on, Harry. <laughs> but um, <laughs> what, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think there, there's kind of two camps here that, that, that you hear about. One is the sort of the most extreme version of that the, we're in a sort of Terminator scenario and uh, it's only a matter of years before the human race is, is wiped out versus the perhaps the more here and nows where there are real risks to the way that we do our jobs across a number of different sectors here that no doubt some jobs will change and some jobs will ultimately be sort of totally lost. Now, the counterpoint to that is that some jobs will be created. I think for me, the biggest thing we need to be careful of as a society is managing that transition in a, in a sustainable way. So there isn't this kind of fear about mass unemployment and in a, in a sort of self-sustaining way as well. I do think that there's an element of 
if it's starting to look like AI is automating everything out the out the way, then ultimately we might not have an eco- a functioning economy. So there is there is actually a, um, a self sort of regulating element there as well. So look, I, from from my perspective, I'm I'm a bit more worried about the here and now, and I think that we need to be careful about sort of overemphasizing the sort of artificial general intelligence going to be taking over the world at the cost of then actually neglecting some of the here and now problems, which are going to be what we will be facing over the next decade or so. doesn't mean we should ignore that that concept. It's something that we should definitely keep a, a close eye on. But for me, we're not actually that close to artificial general intelligence. What, what the, the new wave of large language models are doing is very, very impressive. And there's, I know there's a lot of debate about this, but they're, they're not sentient and... There ultimately, we're talking about several more step changes in technology to potentially get anywhere near something like that. So for me, we should be more focused on the, on the here and now problems and making sure there's a smooth transition. Oh, there's so much more we could talk about on this. And we've done a whistle-stop tour through AI. I do appreciate you talking to me and tackling some of those huge questions that we all need to think about going forward. Harry, it's been lovely talking to you, but that's all we've got time for on this week's edition of the UKTN podcast. To keep up to date with the latest UK tech developments, head over to www.uktech.news. Don't forget to follow UKTN on LinkedIn and Twitter. And you can also get in touch with me on those platforms at Jane Wakefield with your comments and suggestions about the show. Until next time, it's goodbye from me. Are you a scaling business looking to take your financial management to the next level? Sage Intact is here to help. Sage Intact is a powerful cloud-based financial management system that delivers automation around billing, accounting and reporting. Voted market leaders by G2, Sage Intact is the ideal finance solution to scale your business. Learn more about how Sage Intact can support your growing business at www.sage.co.uk intact.